Hey everyone, and welcome to Season 6 of the Millennial Pastor Podcast. My name is Hunter Thrasher, and I'm going to be your guest host for this season while we chat with millennial pastors within the Church of the Nazarene who are on a mission to change the way the church interacts with the community that they are a part of. We're going to listen to their stories, how they've grown in their ministry throughout the years, what is exciting them, um, what are some of the unique joys and challenges that they are experiencing in their ministry today, and how they're reshaping the way that they were taught to pastor to fit the new age that we find ourselves in in America today. For episode five of season six of the Millennial Pastor Podcast, we got to interview Pastor Jonathan Wren, the lead pastor at Bakersfield First Church of the Nazarene in Bakersfield, California. I am so excited to introduce you to Pastor Jonathan, who is also an upcoming guest host for a season of the Millennial Pastor Podcast in in January 2023. But more than just being an upcoming host, Pastor Jonathan just seems to get it. I mean, all throughout our conversation, I was so impressed with his ideas about what the church could be. Pastor Jonathan has led nonprofit ministries. Um, he's a full-time pastor, and he's um, an app developer on the side. Something that we talk a little bit about towards the end of this episode. And I won't, I won't spoil it, but us Nazarenes, I think, can get really excited about what he's doing um, in that ministry with app development. But most importantly, more than all those other things, uh, Pastor Jonathan is passionate about local community ministry and how the church can serve others better. I hope you enjoy this conversation that we had together on episode five of the Millennial Pastor Podcast. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode five of season six of the Millennial Pastor Podcast. I am here with my co-host once again, um, Hayden Thrasher. Uh, Hayden, go ahead and say hey for everybody. Hey, everybody. Hope you're doing good today. Yep. And we are excited uh, today to be sitting down and chatting with Pastor Jonathan Wren from Bakersfield, California. Um, I've, I, we have mutual friend and Josiah, and he's the one that got us connected. But uh, Jonathan, say hey, just take a second and introduce yourself for us. Yeah. Hey, it's good to be here. Um, yeah. Moved to California here a year and a half ago. I was born in Bakersfield, but spent a lot of my ministry time up in Washington in the Seattle area. That's where I, I took Josiah's throne as the youngest pastor uh, in, in <laughs> on the Wapak district. And um, but yeah, it's good to be here. He is uh I I think he's still a little salty about that. That was yeah, the so. that was yeah. the first thing that he said to me about you was that he <laughs> I was about he, to say I even knew that that happened. That's so so he still have a sore spot. <laughs> about yeah, it. That's funny. Yeah. Um so I'm really excited to to get to know you a little bit better. I know you have some exciting things that are going on both that you've done in the the Washington Pacific district but also going on um is that the Central California district? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But also going on in Central California. Um, so uh, let's just jump right in. I want you to tell me a little bit about how you began in the Church of the Nazarene. That's that's where we like to start with everybody, just so we can get to know each other a little bit better and, and everybody can get to know our guests. Uh, what introduced you to the to the church to the church? Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in the church. I um, I grew up in Phoenix, uh, but my my parents were first generation Nazarenes. They uh, came across uh, the church here in Bakersfield, actually in Arvin, um, and had a good pastor who loved on them and um, poured into them and and so on. But my dad moved to, uh, or he moved our family to Phoenix um, to start a, um, a, Caterpillar, a Caterpillar dealership. Um, and 
he had a called ministry, uh, was a children's pastor. And so, yeah, we always grew up there, um, grew up at Crossroads Church of the Nazarene, um, there in Chandler, Arizona. And, uh, yeah, I mean, and I loved it. Um, I was pretty unique, um, and just ate it up and, um, yeah, dove kind of head first into the church and what God was doing. So when did you first, uh, when did you first start to sense a, uh, like a call to ministry? Like that was, that was, was that, was it there in, in Phoenix? Yeah. I, um, at a fairly young age, I knew, I knew that just how I engaged with scripture and my faith and stuff was just different, um, different from my brothers, different from my friends, uh, and not necessarily in a bad way or a good way or anything, just, um, and so I just really questioned what that was. Um, and yeah, so kind of early on thought maybe, maybe God was calling me to be a pastor. Um, and of course, you know, fought that as, you know, any middle schooler does or whatever, and, um, wanted to be a chef for a while and wanted to do all sorts of stuff. Um, but it was kind of in high school. I had a lot of, I had a lot of mentors, um, who people, people just saw stuff in me and just spoke that life of, you know, God's going to do something big with you. Um, and yeah, it was finally high school. I said, okay, God, I'm ready to really pursue this and understand what it means. And, and I always felt I was called to be a lead pastor, um, really wanted to be a youth pastor or something else, but, but felt that call to say, nope, you know, I'm going to be a lead guy. Um, yeah. 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 So when you said, um, when you said that you engaged with scripture a little bit differently, what do you mean by that? Yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've, I've always enjoyed reading, um, but I, I mean, I just remember, I mean, like every night I would just, I mean, just eat up as much as I could. Um, hmm. And I had a, you know, a new living translation, which I thought was, you know, um, fun because you weren't supposed to read that or whatever. Right. Uh, <laughs> a little rebellion. I like it. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, I loved how it was written as a, as a younger kid. Um, and I would just, I would mark it up and I would highlight and, uh, and I still have it and it, and it just thrashed now, but, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I probably read the entire new Testament like four times by the time I was in fifth grade. Um, and, and I, I did Bible quizzing and I did caravans. I did all of the cool Nazarene stuff. Um, but it was never enough for me. Uh, like I wanted, I wanted more, um, more than just memorizing more than just understanding. Uh, yeah. And then it turned into like, you know, consuming Rob Bell's stuff and, other, the, you know, theological works. Again, as a sixth grader, I'm diving into these, these texts. Um, I probably didn't understand anything that I was reading. Uh, but again, I just, I was infatuated with it. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, you're going to get us in trouble with Rob Bell. I know, I'm sorry, gonna... sorry. <laughs> no, 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 I'm kidding. I love it. <laughs> no, I love it. And, and I, that's, that's funny because it, it, it just resonates a lot with, uh, I think maybe, maybe our stories as well, mm. just kind of digging. Hello, uh, uh, Bible quizzing brats. Right yeah. Nice. And, so. and caravans. <laughs> yes. That's right. Yeah. Yes. The, uh, the caravans, man, that's a, that's a blast, a blast back to the yeah. past. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've got a letter from, uh, I think, I think Barack Obama, right. When I got my Phineas Brizzy award or whatever. Oh, really? It. Oh yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is so cool. That's neat. So did you go to, did you go to Point Loma? Did you go to school somewhere else? No, I wish I, you know, yeah. I, we were on Point Loma's campus every year, right. For quizzing and right. regional events or whatever. And I, that was my plan, right. I was going to go be a surfer bum and not go to class <laughs> and it was going to be great. Um, somehow learned to, to preach amidst that. Um, 
But when it came down to it, it was like, I don't know, four months before graduation, my senior year. And uh, there was a, t- a retired teacher from Northwest Nazarene at our church in Glendale. Um, and she just mentioned to my dad, like, hey, has John thought about NNU? Um, and I, I didn't even know there were other institutions, right? Like all I knew was Point Loma. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, and so I was like, sure, whatever. So I just applied because that's what you do. Um, and they, I got them to like pay to fly me out and paid for my application and like they paid for everything. And I got there and it was like the worst college visit experience ever. Um, it was spring (laughs) break. No one was there. It was like negative two degrees and there was snow on the ground. Like it was terrible. Um, (laughs) but yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, but God was like, this is where I want you. And they gave me a lot more money than Point Loma was going to. And yeah. that ultimately, you know, yeah. the door slamming shut at Point Loma. And um, yeah, worked out. I mean, I met my wife there, so I guess it's pretty good. Yeah. Cool. That's awesome. So how did you end up, uh, what, like, where was your first assignment? Was that on the the WAPAC district? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I I interned and stuff there in, in uh, the Boise area. Uh, but um, once we graduated, again, plan to go to Kansas City because that's what you do. Um and, but I got a call months before we graduated and I uh, got connected with uh, pastor Mike Ford in Kirkland, Washington, which is on the east side of Seattle, um, to be a youth pastor. Um, so he was looking for a youth pastor and a graphic designer. My wife's a graphic designer. I was the youth pastor. So it was perfect. Um, and so, yeah, we met with him. You know, he's a, he's an awesome guy. He's still one of my close friends and mentors and, um, yeah. And we were able to, um, come out. Uh, there uh, in 2015. So cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so, and then now you're back. I, so I, I didn't know this and this is why I love chatting, but you're back kind of where you started in, in, in exactly. Bakersfield, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So how's that? It It's good. Um, yeah. I mean, Bakersfield, Bakersfield's great. It's one of those places that you don't ever want to move to, but uh, it's, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's um, great. <laughs> yeah, no, my, I mean, my family's here. Um, all of my extended family's still here. Um, so it was, it was a moving home of sorts. Uh, and I, yeah, I knew that's exactly why, um, you know, we felt, we felt kind of a stirring happening when we were there, we were there in Washington of God was shaking something up and we weren't sure what that meant. Um, and so on. And, uh, yeah. And then this, this door opened at, at COVID, we actually were, I had like pre-filmed, like, I don't know, two or three months of sermons. Um, it was right around Christmas time. We weren't doing church in person. Like it was great. And so we said, let's go take a kind of extended vacation. And since we're, we can do things anywhere. My wife was working remote. Um, so we came down to see my parents for, um, for it was like a month, month and a half. Um, yeah, I came across the, the, that first church had opened up and the DS wanted to, you know, uh, have me sit down with the board and, uh, I said, Oh, let's just see what God's doing. And, um, yeah, I just had a lot of big confirmation of this was the right time. My, my mom has stage four melanoma cancer. Um, oh, no. and so it was an opportunity for my, my son to be with her, um, and get to yeah. know her really well and spend time with, you know, and for us to spend time with my mom, um, in, in whatever time we have left with her. So, um, it was, yeah, it was a cool, a cool move. Um, yeah. Again, I never would have dreamt of moving to Bakersfield, but, but, uh, that's often where God calls us. <laughs> right. So. No, and so you've I, been there now for, for what, nearly two I, years, a year and a half. Yeah. Just year under two years. Okay. Yeah. So we have, uh, so I'm also serving in, in the church in my hometown. Actually, it's the, it's the oh, church cool. that I grew grew up in. I'm the, I'm the associate pastor. Right. And so we have some similar things. Uh, and I'd love to talk about that just a little, a, yeah. a little bit. Uh, what, 
what is it like? And, and one thing that I've gone back to every, um, in every podcast where I've been trying to talk about the unique joys and challenges of ministry. Um, and I know firsthand that pastoring in your hometown, uh, next to family comes with some unique joys and, and unique challenges. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, so I, my dad is still a children's pastor. Um, and so he actually pastors another Nazarene church just, just down the road. Um, okay. Bakersfield's unique. We have four, four, um, Nazarene churches in the area, um, kind of in the different sectors of Bakersfield. Um, and so one of the joys has been like, we came in, like I already knew some of the other pastors I already knew people I already had connections. Um, uh, you know, the people that know my dad isn't always a good thing. So, you know, I got to work through that, but, uh, um, no, uh, <laughs> but it, it, it came up with a opportunity of like, we've already got ministry partners and people already yeah. doing the same kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it's like, we do like, we'll host good Friday service and Ridgeview will come out to our church for good Friday. Um, cool. and then they'll do sunrise service, which I'm glad to send people there to them. So I don't have to get up, and, <laughs> That's right. attend, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, it's like there's things like that, right? Just creative ministry stuff that we're able to just right right out of the gate, like we were able to do. Um, yeah, and yeah, which is fun. So like our first Easter was, I mean, months after we started, and we already had people like we again we already had connections, we already had things happening um, because of that, which was fun. Um, yeah, well, and yeah. and sometimes it feels like like if if you if you're to go to a new place, like if you're going to go, if you feel God calling you to a new spot. Yeah. You're starting over. Exactly. You gotta, you gotta remake connections. You've got to, um, you, you've got to get to know the community. Exactly. And there's, there is a unique joy in being able to, to already walk into a place that you're familiar with that knows you, and yep. a level of trust there that you don't, I, like you have to, you still have to gain their trust, but you don't have to work as hard for it. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, and yeah, and and Bakersfield is, um, you know, it's a very and at least our church is very blue collar, um, working yeah. class people. Um, a lot of them have been in Bakersfield their entire life. And, and, and often those communities can be hesitant of, you yes. know, people moving from Washington, right. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't someone from Washington. I was a local Bakersfield boy. Um, yeah, you know, I, back home. Right. Exactly. Yep. And, and that helped a lot with relationships and, um, hmm. people, you know, people there knew my grandpa and, and, um, I already knew the neighborhoods. I could always, I could already talk the Bakersfield language, uh, yeah. you know, and some of that kind of stuff. So that, yeah, it was, was huge for sure. You That's know, me. the local sports rivals and all the, all the gossip and stuff. Already. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Yep. Got a, got a root for the, the Condors, the local ice hockey team. <laughs> uh, so how big of a community is Bakersfield? Uh, so it's 360,000 people. It's one of those like thoroughfares. It's where everyone came from the Dust Bowl. Like when that happened, the migration from Missouri, yep. Arkansas, Oklahoma, they came to Bakersfield. Gotcha. And that's when they settled California. Um, that's that's why my family's here uh, was that movement. Um, gotcha. And so it's, it's an interesting place where Honky Tonk was born and uh, it's <laughs> full of oil fields and all sorts of stuff. But yeah. Interesting. Yep. Well, I want to I want to transition into um, some of the creative things that you're doing because that that's one thing that we're highlighting here in this season six is the the weird things that that pastors are doing in their churches to kind of redefine what it means to be the church to their local community. We've we've talked about everything from 
like home church type stuff to uh, a community garden. And then uh, nice. last last week we we talked with uh, Pastor Jacoby and he had a million ideas for us yep. that were all so great. But uh, Josiah has told me a little bit about some of the things that you do and what you've done both on the Central California District, but also on the WAPAC District. And uh, I, I call it this a little bit um, when we were talking before we started recording, but I called it circuit preaching. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm just going to throw the ball to you and I'm going to let you just go go all in with it. Tell me tell me about uh, what that means and about what what that looks like. Yeah, well, so it started with with Mike Ford and uh, we came out to Kirkland and and when he hired him, I said, Mike, I'm not a youth pastor. Like, I just want you to know, I'm not a youth pastor. That's what you hired me for, but that's not who I am. Um, hmm. But I know that's where I need to start. But, you know, you know, my call of where I want to go. And he said, no, I love it. Let's plan a church with you. Um, I said, awesome. Let's, let's figure that out. And so he, he started early on of, that's like one of his gifts is he's a, he just loves to pour on, pour into young leaders. Um, and it just has a great track record of that. Hmm. Um, and so a year into being a youth pastor there in Kirkland, um, he, uh, he went on sabbatical and left the church to me. Our other pastor was on maternity leave. He was on sabbatical and it was just me, like, and, <laughs> you know, and everything happened that could have happened. And it was great. Um, yep. But that was like the first time I'd preached consecutively, right? Like I'd preached many times, but not in a row and doing my own series and some of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, a beehive got you know, came into the church property and I had to figure out how to get it removed. Right. <laughs> All those oh things my. You just don't even know pastors deal with Yeah, uh, the basement flooded. Yeah. It was great. Um, oh man. But within that, uh, our DS called and said, uh, he started having conversations with Mike about um, one of the churches in Snoqualmie, which is just a little bit outside of the, uh, just a little further East of Seattle there. Um, and he said, Hey, you know, they've, their pastor retired. It's been two years. They're a small church. They're not ready to die. They've got a parsonage, but it's an office. We need some creative ideas. And Mike said, well, you know, I've got John. What if instead of planning a church, what if we took over this church? Um, Hmm. And Mike was thinking like a year out. And so the DS had me go meet with the board and we started having these conversations. And then it was like, okay, let's start this next month. Um, And so it was like, whoa. um, And we, I mean, Mike was great. And he just said, cause again, I had only been at Kirkland like a year, like a year and a half, maybe. Mm. And, um, so you're like 23, 24 at this time. I was right? 23. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so we took over Snoqualmie, um, and kind of did a relaunch. Like we, we never closed down the church. We never did any of that. I just, I just started being the lead pastor out there. Um, yeah, the DS thought I was 28 when he installed me, um, and like on stage, I'm like, no, I'm 23. And his job about hit the floor. It was great. I loved it. Um, if I would have known yeah. that, I probably wouldn't have done it. Exactly. Yeah. Just one of those, <laughs> those loops. loops. Yeah. Yeah. Those loops on that so don't, don't connect. That's, that's yeah. It. Yeah. Um, and so we just started, I mean, the whole point of us coming out there is like the board was looking for a young pastor who didn't know what he was doing who was ready to do some creative things and was okay. Again, not getting paid very much and uh, remodeling the parsonage. And so we were able to uh, totally gut the parsonage and remodel it. It was, you know, 600 square foot house on the property of the church and, um, and had some fun doing that and got to know a lot of people tearing down walls and putting beans up and painting walls and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea, the whole point, uh, why I'm giving all this backstory was we said, we are not 
we're not sending John to restart this church and them to become their own thing. We are taking over the church and they are going to be life community church. Hmm. Um, and so it was a journey. It took about a year of where we fully rebranded, fully launched, fully got it. And we, it was a shared team approach. So I was still on staff in Kirkland as the hmm. kind of associate family pastor of sorts yeah. while we got other people in. And then I was also the lead pastor in Snoqualmie. Um, and then Mike was kind of the executive pastor of both campuses. Um, and, and not necessarily that he had responsibility in Snoqualmie. Like I still did everything. Um, yeah. But it, again, it was this idea of shared team. And so part of that is we started figuring out, okay, if if we're going to take this serious, that means Mike and I need to be at both campuses, like intentionally of how do right. we... Um, is we didn't want a campus, like again, right? we didn't want a video model. We didn't want any of that. Um, it was just true, like a full robust staff that helps run both campuses, um, both locations. Um, and so Mike would come to board meetings with me and I'd go to Kirkland board meetings sometimes. Um, when we first started, I was, we had service in Snoqualmie at 11, I think. And Kirkland started at 10. And so we were still living in Bellevue, like which is like in between we would drive to Kirkland and I would open the service with prayer. And then I'd jump in my car and drive 30 minutes out to Snoqualmie to get there in time <laughs> to start service. I was nuts. We did that for like three months. And I'm like, I can't, I, this is too much, <laughs> way too much. Um, but all right. So we just kept trying and experimenting of what presence looked like. And, and so, I mean, I don't know, six months down the road, we kind of built up both teams. I had an associate pastor. Mike had several other pastors on staff there. And um, we started saying, let's do sermon series together. Like more than just, because we Mike and I would preach on the same stuff, which was great. So we'd meet Tuesdays and we would kind of start our sermon prep together and then go our own ways with whatever we were going to do that week, um, yeah. which was really cool. A really you know great model. But then we kind of took it to the next level of saying, okay, we have... At that point, we had like six people who could preach between both churches, which was pretty yeah. unique. Yeah. And we said, let's do series where they aren't linear. So they don't have to be John 1, John 2, John 3, more right. topical stuff. And let's all take one idea and you learn one sermon and we've got six weeks covered. Wow. And so we would do a rotation of you would preach that one sermon twice so I, you know, preach one week in Snoqualmie and then the next week I'm out at Kirkland and whoever was in Kirkland the week before would be out in Snoqualmie preaching for me. Hmm. Um, and yeah, it was just like beautiful, uh, kind of shared approach of new voices, new ideas. Um, like we all would take ideas that we were excited about, you know, versus having to preach, right. you know, I mean, you always have to preach stuff maybe that you're not super passionate about, but, um, yeah, but it, yeah, and it created more space for us to really dive deep into that study of that week that we were doing. Um, yeah, it was cool. And we, we learned quickly that people, they really enjoyed it when it was not the every week thing, right? Like, um, yeah, so we would do it once or twice a year, um, usually mm -hmm. like around Advent or Easter, those would be good excuses or summer. Um, right. Yeah, but it was fun. It was a, uh, a really interesting approach to get new people into the pulpit and um, yeah, just differing voices and so on. Hmm. And from what I understand, just uh, chatting with Josiah, that that is still kind of in place right now, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, the associate guy that I brought on, Justin, he, um, yeah, when, when I first started in Snoqualmie, I dreamt of this transition plan 
and I did everything I could to put it into place and it like actually worked. Like it was beautiful. <laughs> um, and so when I left that next week, Justin was elected in as the, the next pastor. Um, he was voted mm. in as the next pastor. Um, he was my associate that I brought on. Um, and so him and Mike, again, still meet weekly and they work on sermon series together in the same way him and I did. Um, and then they do that circuit preaching, um, when the, it kind of lends itself to that. And, um, hmm. yeah, it's cool. That's See, awesome. Yeah. Um, the, the, I'm, I'm just thinking about, uh, how many times we, as a denomination, we close a church and then try to either plant something new or, or, yeah. or, or reimagine it. And, and I, I look back and, um, you know, even, even all, all the way back to like Phineas Brzee and, and Methodism and, and, uh, like the start of the Nazarene church and that, that circuit preaching is not a new idea. No, it's not. Yeah. And, and the, the fact to say that we can take a pastor or a handful of pastors and instead of a, ch- a church that's running, you know, a, a low number that can't afford a pastor's salary, we can say we can split this up over two or three and uh, rely on lay people to lead those, exactly. uh, yeah. you know, uh, to, to do the day-to-day stuff. And, um, you know, that's where we get, and this is diving really deep, but that's where we get the, you have to, you have to serve communion at least four times a year. That's because, exactly. you know, that yeah. the pastor needed to be at every church at least four times a year. Four to times serve a year. Communion. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And, and sometimes they were over, uh, you know, 10, 10 different churches that they're traveling around to. Um, but I, I think the, the reason that this gets me excited is it's, a new approach to that because it, it almost feels a little bit like a, like a, like a campus, but it's not, it's, it's all a part of a, it's all a part of just one staff um, or one group of people just helping each other out. And I, I think that the further we go into this decline of, of the church in America and America evangelicalism, the more we're going to have to rely on each other to keep the church alive. So Yeah. I, yeah. So I'll quit talking. I'll throw it back to you. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, exactly. The we, we just sought to really to try and figure out as again, like it. I mean, my first Sunday was 12 people, um, 12 yeah. old, retired, faithful Nazarenes who had yeah. been in Snoqualmie their entire lives. You know, they um, I was definitely an outsider. Um, and hmm. they again, they they came to the like the reality of either this church is going to close or are we okay with that or are mm. we ready to do what's necessary and that didn't mean taking more power or more control or doing it the old way of them really saying we have to let go and mm. find a new normal right find a yeah. new healthy um, way to do church and and the only reason Snoqualmie still exists today is because they had the right missional mindset of loving on their community reaching out to those around them they were running the local food bank. They were doing all these things. Hmm. Um, and they were open to right this sort of new approach to me not being the only one in the pulpit, right. Of bringing yeah. in new young leaders, whatever it is. Um, and that, yeah, I mean, they, they weren't convinced that Sunday attendance was the only way, uh, was the uh-huh. way to bring people to Jesus. Um, yeah. and cause it wasn't. And, uh, yeah. And so that, Again, the Washington Pacific District does a really good job with Jerry Kessler as the DS, and he's done a good job of asking the question of what does it take to make healthy churches? 
not necessarily growing churches, not necessarily large churches, but just healthy churches. Um, and so this was a big part of, I think, him allowing us to experiment with partnerships um, of what even maybe the missional zones or areas or whatever you want to call them, um, what those are maybe intended to be of shared mm. resources, shared ministry. And yeah. so like now Mike is looking at taking over the Bellevue church and doing a same exact model um, of that becoming another life community church of, again, yeah. we have shared ministry, shared approach, um, which is beautiful. Um, so, yeah. Well, and, and it also sets up, it sets up that church that would like on the road to die. Exactly. Like now, now it's not only we're not just throwing in a like one pastor in there that will hopefully save this thing. Like it's it's empowering a community inside that community yep. to keep it thriving. So whenever you left, it, a lot of churches like that, if if a pastor comes in and, and and they can become a personality, and when they go, like it's right back where it started. But yep. when you left, you had yes. already fostered this 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 uh, community to to fill that spot yep. the next week. You yep. know, how many times yeah. do we hear of a pastor leaving who had been there? It, for a long time and then that the church dies because of it yep yeah exactly yep yeah no and, and, and that's yeah and, and and that's our approach right of or what i've seen as many districts approaches is they they get young pastors they find the smallest church they can and they put them in that and they hope everything works out um and it usually doesn't i mean that's josiah's story a little bit um and and it's hard to watch um and the yeah. only way I mean, if Jerry would have just thrown me into Snoqualmie by myself and said, good luck, give me a call if you need anything, uh, <laughs> it, it wouldn't have worked. I mean, I, I would have been isolated. I would have gotten really frustrated really quickly. And I still did. And it still felt like that. But I always had someone. I always had Mike, right? I always had other people yeah. that were there to help me. Um, and so, yeah, that building that structure, that framework, that support into those situations i think it's only way we can do church um, effectively um, yeah no matter of size i think um but yeah for so many young pastors that i've talked to and, and I've, I've lived and listened to millennial millennial pastor for a long time it seems like this seems to be a common thread that it's almost like the uh uh the barrier to entry of getting a bigger church is you got to shut another one you got to shut one down like one right. of your first ones you got to get tossed yeah. in you yeah. know <laughs> And so yep. this is, this is taking that saying, you know, this, here's a young guy, let's give him all the support he needs, not just from a district level, but it, from a whole community, yeah. I think. And it's awesome that you had mentors and people behind you to, to empower yeah. you to do that yeah. as well. Well, yeah. and, and my favorite part about it and Hayden, Hayden hit on this a little bit is that it really, when, when you do something like that, it de-emphasizes the, the, the leadership role of the pastor and it empowers the community there. Like exactly. the, like they're, they're going to have to learn what it means to be the church. Um, they're going to have to learn what it means to serve their community. I loved what you said, um, Jonathan, about uh, building healthy churches, not bigger churches. Yeah. And you say in those 12 people, they, they, they knew what it meant. They, they realized they were about to die, but they like the, the, the church was about to die, but they, they knew that it was about serving their community, not getting up to 50 yep. and then a hundred and then 300. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, that's yeah. Great. And it was, yeah. And it was, it was a beautiful thing. And, um, you know, I really struggled in Snoqualmie with the fact that we never had, so in the five years I was there, I had maybe, maybe eight visitors. Really? Ever, like the whole time. Yeah. 
And, and I really struggled with that because we're told and trained and taught that if you're doing your job well, Hey, if you do a name change, which I did, if you paint the walls, which <laughs> I did, if you, you know, do all these things, people are going to come to your church. And right. I did it all. And no one came ever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we were a solid 50 that entire time and they still are. Um, and yeah, like we had families come and families leave and, um, and those kinds of things, but not like, again, the traditional church model, right. uh, not even like Kirkland had. And um, like, man, maybe we just need to spend a lot of money on mailers and maybe we just need to spend a lot of money on this or a lot of money on that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, God just quickly showed me, look, the whole reason this church is here is not because of Sunday morning. It's mm-hmm. not about this experience, this production. I mean, I had a little bluegrass trio that was my worship band and they were phenomenal, um, but no <laughs> young family is going to come and enjoy that. And that's fine. Right. Uh, I loved it, but that's because I like that stuff. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it, it the way we connected with other people again was that compassion ministry stuff and hmm. um, showing up when no one else will and actually following up when other churches wouldn't. And all those kinds of things. That's where we were effective. Um, yeah. And I quickly, I started to become, you know, started to become a stakeholder in our community um, that, I, that I never expected. Um, and I was able to pass off to Josiah and pass off to the people who followed me, um, to people that the, the town knew they could call this church or this ministry or this thing, and they could get whatever they needed. Um, yeah, which is cool. Perfect segue, because I was just about to ask about that, um, yeah. because uh, I know that you were involved in some nonprofit work along yep. along w- during this time of of uh, when you're preaching there. So yeah. tell me a little bit about what that looked like. Um, and I, I know that there's some deep connections to the community and, and to the city there. So so yep. I'm a, like, I, like I said, I'm going to pass it to you. You, you, you cool. go for it. Yeah. So I didn't close down a church. I closed down a food bank. That's what I did. I, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, so I started. I started there in Snoqualmie and that's what the church did. The entire church volunteered at, at the local food bank. Um, and I was like, man, this is awesome. I should probably be a part of that. If they're doing it, I should be there too. Yeah. Um, so I started just showing up and just figuring out what was happening and they were serving. Um, yeah. I mean, several hundred families every week, um, you know, big production of truck and walk-in freezer and the whole deal. Um, and, and it was, the kind of model was there was a ministerial association that owned the food bank. Um, no other church was really a few other churches. Well, many other churches were a part of it, but really only our church were the ones who staffed it. Um, there are a couple other volunteers from other churches, but um, by and large, our church was the one who kept it going, which was beautiful. Um, and so uh, I just jumped in, you know, head first and just said, let's, you know, what does the food bank need? What do we need to succeed? And um, long story short, I got into leadership with the ministerial association and there was a lot of just toxic stuff and bad history. And there actually were two food banks in our town because of bad blood and all this sorts of stuff. Um, and so I just started asking the question of like, does, does Snoqualmie actually need two food banks? Like there's not that many people. Do we actually need two food banks? Mm-hmm. Cause we're fighting over grants or fighting over money or fighting over food right. to give to these people. And these people are just going to both food banks and getting, duplicated services. And in the nonprofit world, that's like a big no-no, right? You don't want to duplicate services. Right. Um, and so I just said, Hey, let's stop, let's stop this food war and let's maybe work together. Uh, let's do what we're doing that they're not. And let's let them do 
what they're doing and and because they're actually doing it better than us. Um, and so I closed down the food bank and transitioned it back into the initial vision of what the Minnesota Association Association was founded, um, which our which the Nazarene Church actually started the the ministerial association, which was really cool. Um, and so it was originally started as a um, rent relief and utility assistance program. That's how it started. Okay. Um, and within that, they quickly saw the community needed a food bank. And so they started the first food bank um, and so on. And so we said, let's focus on emergency assistance. And then let's take that and also offer, and we also were running a backpack program where we were giving FID giving kids food for the weekends, um, who are on the, uh, meal programs for the state. Um, so that, cause usually those kids, they come to school for breakfast and lunch. Then on the weekends, they don't have anything. They yeah. still don't have breakfast and lunch because their parents are probably yeah. still working on the weekends. Um, and so we just kind of poured all of our resources into those two areas. Um, and so we pivoted into the helping hands ministry is what we called it. Um, it was a helping hands food bank, went to the helping hands ministry. Um, and yeah, it just opened up way more doors with the other food bank, um, with other people, other partnerships. Um, and yeah, just started to really rework and redream that nonprofit of, um, we're more than just a group of pastors who pray together. We're a group of churches who are committed to loving on our, our Valley. Well, um, yeah. And it just snowballed into, uh, we got connected with an organization called love our cities, which is out of, uh, Modesto, California. Um, and they do, um, they help, they help groups like this, uh, do serve like a once a year serve day that opens up opportunities into cities and schools for ongoing service opportunities, connections with nonprofits, those kinds of things to help mm -hmm. be a catalyst for, um, people to love where they live, right. To really say, yeah. I love the Snoqualmie Valley. Right. And that's what we focused on. Um, and so, yeah, we partnered with them. Um, I was on their board to help get that going um, and so on. And then, yeah, and so we were, you know, we were serving 225 kids every weekend um, with meals for the weeks. Um, we were doing emergency assistance and that was pretty slow. I mean, you'd have people come through um, and those kinds of things, but COVID hit. Um, and this, this, was, this was where I saw that the work we were doing was, was the right work. COVID hit and overnight, every kid needed food, right? Because yeah. parents were still working. Um, a lot of people needed rent uh, relief and assistance and those kinds of things. And so Helping Hands Ministry, because we were agile, because we weren't restricted with government grants and funds and all these sorts of things, which was good and bad, um, yeah. it, uh, it allowed us to become the kind of call center for anyone who needed anything during COVID. Um, and so we had calls from, you know, I can't hmm. make this month's rent um, to, hey, my son, you know, just passed away last week. We need help with funeral um, or whatever wow. it is and everything in between. And so we went from serving 200 kids on a weekend to serving 800 kids every week for seven days a week, not just two days. Wow. Yes. Wow. And so our fellowship hall turned into Costco. I mean, it was, it was insane. <laughs> yeah. I just have pictures of like, I never bought so many applesauce boxes in my life um, <laughs> until I had my kid. And now he eats probably just as much, but um, <laughs> yeah. And it was, I mean, it was just crazy. And the community showed up and they gave us money and they supported us and it helped, it helped bring a healing, I think, to some of the bad stuff that happened before. Um, 
just because I was willing to say, it's not about us, just how can we help you? How can we help your organization help others? Um, so, I mean, we were, we had school counselors calling us and saying, Hey, we need this for family. And I said, no problem. Send me an Amazon link. I'll buy it right now. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and those kinds of relationships and partnerships were awesome. Um, yeah, it was just, it was beautiful. And so we became known as the organization that you could call, you could send people to, and they would get help that day or that next day, or they're an organization that'll help you help them. Um, and yeah, God showed up and his favor was upon it and, um, beautiful things happened. Yeah. It was cool. What, what a beautiful description of, of the church, man, uh, to just, uh, to be a place where people know that they can call and, and be, and get some help, um, no matter what they're facing. And I also loved, I I just want to highlight it for anybody that may have missed it. Um, man, you realized you were in competition and you said, Hey, listen, they're doing this better. There's no need for us to be competing when we, uh, when, when we're, we're both just trying to do a good work. Let's fill, let's fill a gap rather than trying to, uh, to up the ante and keep going, um, and to do something that we can't do as well as they're doing. Um, Did you receive any pushback on that whenever you, or or were you able to explain it in a way that, Hey, we're going to make this do more? Yeah, it, yeah, we definitely had pushback. Um, I mean, it, it, in both ways. I mean, the people in my church really struggled because um, mm. that was their identity, right? Um, right. They, were, they were the food bank church. They were, that's what they did. They're all retired. That was their job. Yeah. Um, but helping them understand it, I was saying, no, this opens new opportunities. Um, and so, it, and, and they kept saying, well, but where are they? Because they, they would always serve a hot meal when they did the food bank on Tuesdays. Mm. Um they're like, where, the, where else are they? Like, we are the hot meal for Tuesday. Where else are they going to get it? And I said, well, let's still do a hot meal, serve it at the church. Mm. And so they did. We started lunch on Tuesdays and, and it was again, still, it was a great thing. And so help them reimagine of how to actually connect with these people on a deeper level. Um, and they found like, oh, well, we can actually sit down and eat with them now that we never were able to before. Um, yeah. And, and so that was cool in that way. But the, the most pushback I got were just from some of the other pastors um, in the ministerial association of them just not necessarily understanding why, because for them, they were still fighting. They wanted to win, right? They wanted to be, they were the right. original food bank. And why would we surrender, right? Why would we give up? Um, yeah. I'm like, guys, it's not about that, right? It's it's not about any of that. Um, does Who doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter if we are the food bank or they're the food bank. What matters is people are getting food. And right now we're keeping that mm. from happening. Um, and so it it was, I don't know, I, a lot of them were reluctant when it came down to it. Um, I'm like, look, guys, none of you have skin in the game. <laughs> none of you are being there. None of you are volunteering. None of you are, none of your church is really a part of this. Um, I would love for that to change. And this is a way for that to change. Um, yeah. And yeah, there was a lot of conversations um, a lot of hitting my head against the wall, but eventually we, uh, <laughs> we were able to come to a place where they, they embraced it. And, um, yeah. And, and I know Josiah still is in that struggle of getting that going, but yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. I, I love that. Um, and, and to see your, to, to see your people, your, the people of your church kind of release it, but also to say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to serve that hot meal. And what that means is that now we can talk to them and we can actually form, form these relationships. Uh, that's, that's super special. Yeah. No, I I appreciate you sharing, um, 
sharing that with us. So you have a ton of stuff going on. Um, and like, I've got, I've got a list of like super awesome things that, that you're working on right now. And I'm, I'm wanting to hit them all. So I hate that. I hate to feel like I'm changing the subject, it's all good. but, uh, you also have been developing an app for the denomination. Well, it may not be for our denomination, but our denomination is kind of using it. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about, about that and about, yeah. and, uh, I, like I said, w- before we started recording Hayden's here, so I'm probably going to, I'm gonna, probably going to let him guide this conversation more cool. than me, but, um, tell us about that and more so than just what it is, although we definitely want to know that, um, what, what is your, what was your mindset behind it? Like what, what, yeah. what was the idea and, and yeah. why did you make it happen? And, yeah, and cool. how long did it take for you to come up with a cool name for it? I'm, uh, I'm on the edge of my seat. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. I, yeah. So when I came to wash, yeah. So I've, I've built websites since I was in high school. It was, you know, my dad volunteered me at our church in Glendale to build their website. And I'm like, why dad? I've never done this before. And he said, I don't know, we'll figure it out. And so we did. Um, I realized I was, I was like, oh, I'm actually kind of good at this. Maybe we could help other churches paid for books in college. I've never really advertised. It's just always been word of mouth. And as churches came, you know, I helped and, and that kind of stuff. We moved, when we moved to Washington, um, the district website was just terrible. Um, I was having to navigate it and get resources. And I'm like, so I sent an email to the office admin and just said, Hey, can I help you? Like, let's, you know, I, I see that you guys are paying actually quite a bit for this website. I can charge you a lot less. Let's find something better. Um, and so that started a relationship with the district office of me just helping them redream what the website looked like when it came to district assembly, um, for our annual gathering of churches, I, I saw all the work they were doing in formatting word docs and statistics and sheets. And, and it's just the nightmare that (laughs) that was for them. And I said, there has to be a different way. Um, first, it's like, so painful sometimes. Dude, it is, it is so. <laughs> it, like we we talked about district assembly a few episodes ago. Every district assembly you go to, that's the words that come to mind. There yep. has to be a better way. <laughs> yep. And that and that was what I sought to change. Um, yep. That very thing. And so, uh, yeah. So it started with one, just me getting their reporting forms. Like, stop sending us word docs and like templates, and let me create an online form for you. Um, and so I started doing that and just creating, starting to kind of create a centralized database system for them of um, collecting this information and that kind of stuff. Amidst that, Jerry, the DS came to me and said, hey, it'd be great if we could go totally paperless. We're spending a lot of money on printing and binders and tabs and everything. Um, do you think we could do this in a mobile app? And I said, I don't know. I've never done that before, but let's figure it out. Um, so I did it the hard way. Um, the first year. And I took all this data from all these forms that I created and we hard coded this app and we launched uh, the first, the first district toolbox app um, with Washington Pacific that had basically the virtual handbook. So they could go through and get the DS report and the NMI report and um, all of those reports right there. Um, they could view all their church reports, had all the statistics, had everything in there at, at, at their fingertips. Um, and it was a very crude app. It, worked it was fine um but i knew it was just the start of something else um yeah but the so the first year did hard way the next year i then automated everything 
Um, I then took those forms, connected them directly to, to my database tables and all that kind of stuff, which immediately populated the app and rewrote everything and all that kind of stuff. Um, within those conversations, Jerry kept telling me, John, you're onto something here. I know other churches are going to need this. Other districts are going to need this. Yes. Um, and desperately. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I said, okay, if you think so, Jerry. And so I was, I was like, okay, you know, that was in the back of my mind. I was still pastoring. I was doing all this nonprofit stuff. I was, it was, you know, this was just a side hustle that helped pay for vacation to Mexico or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, so I started, you know, kept kind of pouring into it as they had new ideas and needed new things or that, and, you know, so on and so forth. And um, Oregon Pacific approached me and said, hey, we've heard what you're doing. We'd like to try it out. Um, I said, awesome, <laughs> let's let's go. And so I got them into it. Um, and, and as district in Canada, Central Canada reached out to me too. And um, so they were kind of my first branch districts um, and helped me kind of take it to the next level. And... Um, so we just kept kind of developing it, kept going with it. Um, and within that was the name of, I was trying to figure out, okay, so this is starting to happen. What do I call it? Um, oh, and yeah. I really, you know, and I just said, what am I trying to create? And it was, I'm trying to create tools for district office, right? Tools that they need. So that's why I came up with the district toolbox. I, it, it made is sense. It one more, two words? Uh, two words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two the, words. The, okay. the district okay. toolbox, I guess three words. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Cause that's, yeah, that's what I wanted to offer. Cause I knew the vision I had for it at that point was it was more than just online forms. It was more than right. just a mobile app. It was more than just contact, you know, a contact database. It really would become a toolbox for districts. Um, yeah. So I wanted to help get kind of the mission behind it is I want to help resource districts with uh, administrative tools that allow them to focus on ministry. Um, mm. so they're not having to format Word docs or format Excel sheets. They're not having to update a church's website on the district website um, or whatever it is. They can just help focus on churches like Snoqualmie who needed it um, yeah. in those kinds of ways. Um, yeah. So then kind of long story short, had this kind of system. It was pseudo working. still needed a lot of debugging and, and tweaking COVID hit mm. and every district needed what I had overnight. Yes. Um, they needed a remote online solution for handbooks, for assembly, for voting, all sorts of stuff. Um, and so I had to finish it up, package it and start getting it connected. And, and that's, yeah. And then that's when, that's when the toolbox exploded. And um, I think we got 15 districts that first year. And then another 20, another 20 districts that following year. Wow. Um, and uh, yeah, and just kept re reimagining, re, you know, um, re-innovating what we had put together. And so we created a credentialing system to track educational um, classes for students. Because again, a terrible system that when I went through it, I had no idea where I was. I had no idea what classes the district thought I had completed. <laughs> Yeah. All that kind of stuff. Like so goes... I, yeah, so I, I do our, I, I'm the director of our district school of ministry and a oh, part awesome. of the board of ministry and stuff. And dude, that's a nightmare. That is, it is, it is just it is. Be, having to, having to keep up with what courses has everybody taken. Yep. I'm, I'm loving this. Keep going, keep going. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so I worked with Kansas city, worked with Florida district who were kind of the pioneers, kind of the leading districts in some of those areas. And yeah, they helped me reimagine and create a system to track all that allows the students to log in and see their progress right there in real time, 
communicate um, transcripts through the system. I mean, all of it, right? Um, so there's that, you know, is online voting um, for helping assemblies do voting in real time, either in person or virtually um, for that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, we're, we're working on helping automate the journal preparation process for district for district offices, which is like the beast of, you know, it's a swear word. Yes, it is. It is. Um, yes. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, and, and there's so much more. Um, and, uh, you know, we're on version three of our mobile app platform um, of, you know, they're able to control their app in real time and all those kinds of things. Um, but it's great. It's 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 been crazy to see the just the doors guys opened with it um, mm. of like, you know, I've got phone numbers and know many district superintendents by first name and district secretaries, which is super cool. Never thought I'd be able to say that. Yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, but it's also been a lot of stress and and, and a lot of headache yeah. when things don't work. And um, oh, yeah. and yeah, I mean, the the assembly season is nuts this past year because um, we, we, we offer for districts that we will go and be there for their assemblies and help if, if they're first time voting or something like that online yeah. and so on. And so we did like this crazy district kind of circuit where we were down in Houston, we were uh, up in Washington, we were back down for our assembly in central California. We were up in, in Idaho. Like it was like a two week stint of traveling, wow. um, which was nuts, Golly. Uh, but I had keep some- you keep saying we, is it, is it just more oh, than just you or? Yeah. Um, me, me and my wife traveled together. Um, okay. yeah. So like my, my wife helps me cause she's a graphic designer, which is awesome. Um, so she helps me with, cause we do websites for churches and design and all sorts of stuff too. Um, so we do, uh, yeah. So she helps me with that and usually travels with me. Um, but I've got a couple other people. We've got a, um, uh, an intern associate that we just hired that I'm excited about. She's helping with some getting her feet wet in all sorts of different areas. And, and then, uh, um, Kenny Wade is my marketing guy who helps kind of plow the ground for new districts and new opportunities. Um, and yeah, and we're about to bring on hopefully three other, um, reps to help, uh, with our districts, um, support and, and new ideas and so on. So. Cool. So I, I'm going to take just a second and ask a few questions. Yeah. So um, this, some people may be asking, asking themselves like, well, why are we talking about this? Well, this is a vital part of who the church of the Nazarene is the administration of it. Yeah. And exactly what you said, man, I, I, I jumped for joy. Like <laughs> when some of this can be streamlined and taken care of in a better way, that leaves us more time to do stuff that actually matters. Yes. Um, not that the administration doesn't matter. It obviously does. But when it eats up so much of our time, exactly. that's all that's all districts can focus on. Yep. Um, so that's so great. So my question is not for everybody else less listening, but for me, because I'm our district webmaster. <laughs> so how do we sign up? Like how, how do how do like how does a district get get a hold of of you and 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 be able to start this process? Yeah. Um yes, yeah, so I mean you guys can check out districttoolbox.com. Uh, I already am. Wow. Yep. <laughs> and, that, and, and, you know, as, as any good mechanic, they always have a, you know, a car that's not working. That website still needs some updates. Uh, it doesn't have all the new stuff we've launched, but um, yeah, it has a lot of the primary features and functions, um, but also has a scheduling form that you can schedule a call with me. Um, and I'll give you the full walkthrough and um, talk next steps and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. What, what, what district are you guys on? North Arkansas. 
yeah north arkansas okay cool yeah so uh i'll uh i'll text you later we'll set that Wait, up love it. Love it. <laughs> no. but uh that is so that is so neat i love i love that you were like hey listen this is a problem um and i've i've got the resources to fix it and another reason why we're talking about this is because i've i've heard about it through the grapevine it hasn't really made it made it to our region yet but um this is coming. If you're listening to this podcast, this is coming to your district assembly and, and your district very soon. Um, it, we're, it's about to be a, a denom- almost a denomination or at least a USA Canada region scale um, to where it's it's all kind of uniform the way we're doing, which I love, yeah. um, especially the fact that you, you you took it to the board of ministry side and the the ordination process. Um, yeah. I love that. I love that. Hayden, Hayden what you got? I mean, I, I just can't imagine that for a lot of districts, any of these things, especially credential management and, and the education side, is anything more than some Excel sheet that that like one or two people have been if, if uh, we're keeping lucky. track. Yeah. yeah, if you're lucky. Yeah. And I just think about I've been to so many district assemblies and the the paper that was involved, we're going through counting. Yes. Like counting paper ballots on every single every single thing is 50 sheets of paper. Yep. I think this is a, this is really cool. This is a really cool opportunity. I'm looking at your site. It looks awesome. Um, I would love to. I I can't wait for people to get their hands on it if they haven't already. Because it sounds like this is something that that it can only grow from here. Um, yeah. You know, this is um, something that is absolutely needed. Um, and, and in order for us to you know move on, it would have been awesome if you had this in in 2020 2020 March of 2020, right? Yeah. If, if this was widely used, but. I, I think in order for us as a district to, or, in, or as a denomination to like get in the next step, I think we need something like this. Absolutely. Yeah. This is, this is really cool. I'm well, very interested in this. The, oh, the, administ- sure. the administration side is not going to go away. Right. Um, and we're kind of in this, this tipping point, I feel like, and this is an opinion more than it is a fact, but we're kind of in this tipping point to where we've been so focused on administration for so long that we've lost sight almost of, of what we're actually supposed to be doing. It, it feels like to me at least. And so anything like it's not going away, but anything that can help us focus on community ministry, yep. parish ministry yep. um, is, is better. And I know, I, I know a few district superintendents and I think every single one of them would say, man, I would do anything if I could pastor the district more and administrate the district right. less. Yep. Um, I think all of them, all, every single one of them to a T would say that. So that's, that's great. Well, and we have, go ahead. Sorry. One more thing. As I think about like, and I'm thinking of uh, the the episode, I, I don't know if I know Hunter listened to it, but uh, Jonathan, I don't know if you did, but uh, Josiah interviewed uh, our general superintendent, Carla, Dr. Sumberg. Yeah. And, um, and she talked in that, in that episode about how it, it's not a, if, uh, the pastor it becomes like a, a, a double career path it's when that's going to happen yep. And, yep. and and so as that happens it's going to be harder and harder for for uh, pastors and districts to do the administrative side if, if they're also d- doing two jobs and so something like this is going to be vital as we see this movement that the church is going towards absolutely yeah yeah and and i i think um Man, I think that everything you're doing is is setting every everything you're doing from the and I'm I, there's another word there's a better word for it I'm going to keep calling it circuit preaching, but from the from the circuit preaching to this um to to this app management software that that you've made, it's all setting us up for that future that 
like yeah. like Hayden said, and like Dr. Sunberg said, it's not it's not if it's coming, it's when. Yep. When we're going to have to figure out how to do the how how to be the church in a different way. Um, but that's great. Well, we have run the gambit. I mean, we've talked about everything uh, so far during this episode from from shared pastoring, sharing pastors to uh, app to app development, nonprofits, and I love it. But let me let me just end with this because we're we're running up on time. Uh, what right now in in your day to day ministry or in the in the denomination? What is exciting you about what you're seeing happening in the church? Yeah, um, i I've been really getting. I mean, I've been really diving into. Uh, yeah, I guess the what's the future of the church, um, specifically in Bakersfield? I mean, because that's the question I've been trying to answer. Um, you know, the first church is. You know, it started in 1905, um, which is one of the older churches in the denomination, which is awesome. Um, it's been here a long time. It's been a very traditional church. We still have pews and all of this stuff. Um, and I just know, I mean, I'm convinced, right, the Sunday experience can't be the only way we build a kingdom, um, or if, if it even does build a kingdom um, in the same kind of ways. Um and so this idea of church planning, of starting new movements, starting new connections, um, I think is the only way we can effectively build the kingdom. Um, because specifically when I think about, right, my generation, our generation, because um, when I look at almost every church I've attended, you know, the 20s and 30s aren't there. Um, and mm-hmm. and everyone knows right. it. it's a problem. Um it's just exasperated even more so in in Washington and California. Um, probably not, maybe not as much in Arkansas. I don't know. Um, yeah. But, um, and so, you know, Seattle was eight years ahead of Bakersfield. Um, and so my wife and I have been like, okay, we've seen where we're going to be in eight years. How can we change? How, what can we do now to change the tra- trajectory of eight years down the road? Mm. Um, and some of these like neighborhood movements of communities on mission of um, people taking serious the gospel and not being concerned with Sunday morning attendance, um, right, is a beautiful way I think to start to change that direction. Um, so I, I mean, I've I've been reading um, he, the book Hero Maker um, by the guy who does exponential. I can't think of his name right now, um, and it talks about right leadership development basically of how do we stop creating pastors who are heroes and mm. make them more into hero makers um i'm, like, I'm picking yeah, right I'm, this is i'm picking this book up like right yeah. now i'm fixing no, order. it's been yeah. i just finished it 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 was a f- wonderful read um yeah but it, it just spoke to my heartbeat of what i've been what people have made me a hero right mm-hmm. mike was a hero maker uh, and so it's now my turn to make heroes and not be the hero so what does that look like to, again, elevate the lay ministers, um, elevate people in my congregation who already have gifts and talents, and for me to get out of the way and stop trying to do it myself, um, whatever it is. And so hmm. that's what excites me, right? That's what this idea of, you know, I've got a gal in one of the older neighborhoods in Bakersfield, and she started a garden swap thing. They just started swapping produce. Um, now her and her family and her friends, they do it once a week and they walk their neighborhood and they get to know everybody and they're becoming the pastors of that neighborhood. Um, I'm Mm -hmm. like, that is the future of the church in Bakersfield. 
that's yep. how we make this happen. Um, and so just trying to figure out how to catalyze that without administering it. Right. I mean, without like yeah. to track it and whatever. Um, yes. But just stoke the flames of whatever the movement of the spirit here in, in Bakersfield. Yeah. That's awesome. There's something about food and like it's yeah. the tradition of the church, but in, in there's so many ways. That's where fellowship happens. That's that's awesome yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That excites me. It really does to to hear that. And and like you said, uh y- y'all may be eight years behind um behind Washington, but it's coming. And exactly. that's that's how I feel too, uh here in Arkansas sometimes is that we are so many X number of years behind the coasts, you know, you know, we're, we're right in the middle of the Bible belt, Yeah. but we're, we're still, we, we've been over the last few years, uh, I'd say the last decade or more seeing that same trend that's been happening elsewhere. And we know it's coming and that we can either just keep doing what we're doing or try to figure yeah. out doing something else. Exactly. You also said something I wanted to reemphasize about not having to, um, not having to, oh, what did you say about not having to administrate it? Yeah. Not having to count, like, like I hate it when we ask the question, "Oh, how do we count that?" You know, how do how do we? <laughs> but yeah. just let let something natural, let let the people's natural gifts, talents, um, and callings, let that let that guide them and guide the church. That's great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah, and 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 the book Hero Maker talks a lot about. I mean, there's so many books that talk about redefining a scorecard and and yeah. how do we count things and because um, it's not bad. I mean. I actually wrestle with this a lot because I'm like, I've got this toolbox that I've created that yeah. helps districts count things better. <laughs> and I'm like, I hate You're part of the problem, things. Jonathan. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm my own worst enemy. But, but at the end of the day, like, yeah, like we have to count things, like, right? Right. Uh, people yeah, matter. Yeah, yeah. And how do we make yeah. people matter? We count them. Jesus counted people. Um, yeah. We have, right? We have his scorecard um, of, you know, how many people showed up when he fed them and all those sorts of things. And so how do we count things well without hindering the movement um, yeah. without, yeah, all those kinds of things. I mean, that could be a whole other podcast, but. Oh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. Well, I, I appreciate you so much, Pastor Jonathan, uh, for coming on uh, with yeah. Hayden and I on season six. Um, I have loved this conversation. I've taken away so much from it. Um, for anybody listening, uh, I, I think I forgot to mention this this at the beginning, but Jonathan is going to be hosting a season coming up um, at the first of the year, at the beginning of 2023. Um, he's going to be hosting a season of the Millennial Pastor Podcast, so I will be on the lookout for that. I'm excited for that. Uh, everybody who's listening um, needs to be looking out for that as well. But um, just any 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 final thoughts before we sign off? No, I, uh, no, I appreciate your guys' time. and. Um... You know, these conversations are what tells me there's hope for tomorrow, right? These are exactly. these sorts of things yeah. of knowing I'm not the only one saying maybe there's a better way, right? Maybe mm. there's something else out there. And so I just encourage anyone who's listening, right? That um, to keep dreaming, right? Be creative. And uh, especially when, when old bald guys tell, you no, um, keep plowing the field, uh, <laughs> find other right. people who can say yes and, and help make you a hero as you make other people, people's a hero as well. Yeah. That's great. Well, thank you, Pastor Jonathan. Um, Thank you, everybody, for listening. This has been uh, episode five of season six of the Millennial Pastor Podcast. And we will catch you next week for the final episode of season six. Um, So be looking out for that. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thanks, guys.
since we love millennials so much on this podcast, we thought it would be appropriate to promote our fellow millennial authors. Here's one now. Hello, everyone. My name is Hank Spaulding. I am the author of the forthcoming book, Iconoclastic Sex, Christian Sexual Ethics, and Human Trafficking. In this book, um, I look at the complex subject of Christian sexual ethics, which is all the rage in all the churches uh, in the world right now. Uh, but I do it from a unique perspective. I look at it from uh, a group who has been deeply impacted by sexuality uh, in our present world and throughout world history, namely those who have been trafficked, um, survivors of trafficking. And I do a study where I ask them about their lives and how they have been shaped and formed by church and non-church culture and their approaches to sexuality. But I also explore those who have grown up under traditional uh, evangelical purity culture teachings of um, sexual ethics and ask them also about their experiences in order to see if there's anything that connects these groups. Uh, there is, and I will let you uh, find that out. Um, if you read the book, um, but I also use the metaphor of iconoclasm as a means to help uh, deal with the problems that come from and arise from that study. Iconoclasm is a word that just basically means uh, the defamation of idols, and what that means is obviously just the removal and destruction of certain idolatry that we prefer uh, over and against the very love of God. And by doing that, uh, I take a hold and, and pull down the idols and images that keep us from promoting a truly just and loving sexual ethic um, that is theologically robust yet ethically practical, and, and talk about the virtues and uh, the things that make Christian sexual ethics such a powerful uh, manifestation of the gospel. And so I hope you'll check it out. Support this author and our podcast by clicking the link in the description. Thank you. The Millennial Pastor Podcast was created and produced by Byron Certain and Josiah Jones. This season's guest host is Hunter Thrasher. Our editor is Caden Barksdale. And original music was done by Andrew Jones. This podcast is part of the Millennial Pastor Podcasting Network. For more podcasts like it, please visit themillennialpastor.com. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you can join us on the next episode of the Millennial Pastor Podcast.